Hey, this is Ramayan. And Christopher Pitcher of Creation, the DAO-enabled Web3 Venture Studio focused on building the foundation of the creator economy. We're here on the edge of NFT, the podcast inviting you to the party with the best folks building the future hangout. And you must stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Veeam is launching a bold new rebrand as Creation and bringing their intentional, thoughtful, and inspired approach to supporting Web3 through DAOs. Why you might be inspired by one of today's guests to create an altar that honors your most meaningful life experiences. And finally, how the coffee house that seems to be on every street corner everywhere is diving deep into NFTs in a powerful, but also subtle way. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put together a gathering at NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head over to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Ramayan and Christopher Pitcher of Creation, the NFT-powered Web3 platform to launch, fund, and run your creative projects. Today, they are announcing the rebrand of their company, which has been known as Veeam, into Creation. Ramayan is the founder of Veeam, now known as Creation. He works at the intersection of creative expression, new economic systems, and spirituality. Ramayan is a co-founder of Unify, a conscious media platform, which broke the Guinness Book World Records for world's largest online synchronized meditation with Deepak Chopra and has reached over 2 billion worldwide. His vision is a world where creators unify to become the bridge to post-capitalism. Christopher Pitcher is chief strategy officer at Creation. He is a catalyst for a regenerative prosperous future. He has his master's in design as well as an MBA. As a serial social entrepreneur, he has focused on using design, technology, and creativity to build a thriving future for all life. Creation is a new Web3 creator network that transforms fans into co-creators and investors. In creation, rather than subscribing to your favorite creators, you play and earn together. Hey guys, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. So good to be here. Thank you. And also, you're a great intro person. I want to hire you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have. <laughs> it's great to see you guys. It's been a minute. And, you know, as is the sort of LA tech scene, you know, I think Christopher and I originally met like years ago before the big boom. And so like, yeah, that was kind of cool when we found out that, you know, I was introduced to you guys from Austin, shout out to Austin and, and 
you guys were part of NFTLA and all that fun stuff that we had sort of just a few months ago. I didn't actually know at, the, at that moment that the customer was part of a Veeam. Of course. Yeah, small world. Small world. I didn't actually know that you were connected until this moment. I love that. I love that I find that on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we found like a text exchange between us from like 2018 or something. Yeah, like we had a great conversation in an apartment at a friend's dinner party. And then I was just like, wait, is this the same Josh Krieger? And like text him and he's like, yeah, like we're at NFTLA together. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> Here's the dinner parties. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say something like, oh, man, that dinner party was a total bust. <laughs> I think if you just get to get people together for dinner, if, and if you've got that kind of momentum behind it, probably some good things are going to happen if you're the type of crowd that does that. Yeah, as long as like, you know, it's not one of those dinner parties where like three people bring chips and salsa. <laughs> you got you to gotta bring some good... Grub, yeah. You guys had some good chow at your events, so I know you know what I eat. I'm Indian ethnically. We have a dharmic responsibility to feed people well. It's in our lineage. <laughs> Excellent. All right, sorry. Just one more sidetrack here. We better not get out too many sidetracks today, but I have an Indian friend from college and you know we went to like an Indian neighborhood for my birthday because I wanted to go to like an Indian buffet and she humored me and went to the Indian buffet and what we sat down we ate all the Indian buffet food she said what do you think and I said oh this is delicious she said like this is not Indian food (laughs) she's like you're gonna come to my house and have my mom cook for you like what we will always say that will be the collective response of all time. Unless you step into a Gurdwara, we will tell you that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, Josh has had the privilege of spending some time with you guys locally in LA and and I'm, you know, I'm Chicago. Currently I'm actually in Peru, but I haven't got to know you guys as deeply. So I would love to just hear a little bit more about the origin story of Veeam, you know, and, and, you know, what's going on today. Can we start with you, Ramayan, on that? Sure. I mean, Veeam started as a short form social video network. We started right before TikTok came out and I was deeply entranced with blockchain technology and saw the potentials of what it could do. I was really disillusioned with social media. I was really witnessing the ill effects of Facebook long before we had things like Social Dilemma. And I was seeing the negative effects it had on the population. I was, you know, we were running Unify in full force at the time. And we had about 2 million people on our page. We had over 10,000 creators. We built this large following and, you know, with one algorithm change, say, 90% reduced our traffic, trying to funnel us into paid ads. And we realized, wow, we don't own our audiences at all. These are not our people. We've put over a million bucks building our Facebook page and we don't have any of their email addresses. And we're gated to reach them. And we were, you know, building a network with 10,000 creators, making Guinness Book of World Records. At one point, we had 300 million reach in a month. And we had to sell affiliate ads to pay for our nonprofit. We're like, this is ridiculous. This is a completely broken system. We had thousands of creators writing to us every month being like, please post our stuff. We want to share. And we want to share the stuff. We want to share the content. But there was no easy way to create reciprocity. There was no way to create a mutually supportive network. And we really got a, I think, aha insight at a very early age to how extractive these networks were. And we almost couldn't believe how much we invested into a network that we didn't own. (laughs) Like, this is absolutely ridiculous that we would do this. And we have to create a different way 
Malcolm Cazell actually turned me on to NFTs back in 2017, 18. We were there as soon as CryptoKitties came out when they were Axiom Zen. Uh, we were there in little Vancouver basements when the Axiom Zen team were presenting like CryptoKitties in like really small basements and working with the early team. We saw NFTs as a first emergent technology. And immediately I was like, this is the future really early on. And so we started to develop a protocol for NFT copyrights. We developed a one-click copyright patent. We're really deep in NFTs. And I'm like, wait a second, short form video, short form content. Content, every piece of content being an NFT with a legal license embedded into it, develop a system to fractionize the revenue from that content amongst different creators, automated on smart contracts. This is obviously the future. Malcolm got on board. He invested. We built the whole app, but it turns out that Apple and iPhone didn't like our idea. <laughs> they didn't understand NFTs and they didn't like it. And they didn't like crypto and they wanted to have nothing to do. We got booted out. Even though we built up a beta, we built up 10,000 users. We were really excited. You know, we had investment capital. We built natively. And the thing is, we couldn't switch at that time to web apps because web apps didn't deal with short form social video. Like you really had to go native. And so we really hit a roadblock in being able to bring, I think, what was a pretty early visionary idea back in 2018 forward. And even now, we're still just at the moment where they're like kind of being okay with NFTs, you know, and they're starting. I mean, you probably know this better than we do about these challenges. You're not our first guest, by the way, that got kicked off Apple with a really great idea. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to Malcolm, just uh, for the listeners that don't know, Malcolm was the original founder and CEO of, of Wax and Opskins and really a true pioneer. I mean, we all know that a lot of this NFT stuff began in the gaming industry. And, you know, I met him at a conference before Wax was launched. And and I can tell this guy was on to something big. You know, he died at 50 too early for such a genius. He really did. It was really tragic because we built so much of our vision around deploying on their architecture. And we had such a deep mesh of what we were wanting to do in the world. And when he left, it was kind of like, who do I do this with now? Like who has the vision, who has the ability and the resources and the understanding of how this needs to be deployed in the deep pockets who gets it. So it definitely set us back when he passed away and that partnership that we were forming. And, you know, we had to go back to the drawing board. So Veeam shut down for a while. And we were like, you know what, we have to really rethink how we're approaching this. We have these amazing technologies. We have licensing infrastructure for NFTs. We've built an amazing brand. And, you know, where do we really want to move moving forward? And, you know, a little bit of backstory. Back in 2009, I'd met this amazing man named Elijah Ignatiev, and he built a, a system called the Inflow Matrix. And his vision was always to create something called a nexus. And he understood that our economic system was broken because the way of that capitalism operates is that are trying to create something for as low value as possible because capitalism is raw materials plus labor plus capital plus entrepreneurship equals a product. You try to sell that product for as much as you can, take the surplus, take it out of the system as fast as you can. And that's how wealth is worth it. And he was like, unless we figure out how that loop is solved, unless we figure out how to take surplus and put it back in circulation to the system, we're never going to be able to move beyond the exploitative capitalistic model. And so he had the vision of a DAO way before we knew, knew what a DAO was. And I was right alongside of him. So I was working in cooperative frameworks. We were looking at how to create multi-company employee structures. We were looking at how to create incubators where many different companies could share people resources among shared value frameworks to bring products into the world, to recycle surplus back into the system. And when DAOs came out, I was like, wait a second, we now have a smart contract mechanism to do exactly what you've been envisioning for the last 10 years. And I'd written a full white paper about 
So creation was the place where all the work I'd done in new social networks, the creator economy, NFTs merged with this, I think, you know, transitionary post-capitalistic bridge structure that we have as DAOs and created something called creation. And now we've you know, been really working on augmenting DAOs, on building a structure that is not just flat from the get-go, that uses NFTs as the basis for DAOs rather than ERC-20 tokens, which we can get into of why that's really important, maybe in a little bit of a silo later. Yeah, no, I want to sort of go into the NFT side and the relationship between DAOs and NFTs a little bit more because, like, you know, you've been in the space for a long time and you've thought a lot about NFTs, right? And I'd love to sort of understand, in your opinion, what is the true North Star, the true guide to creating NFTs, and what does true utility look like? Clearly, there's a relationship with DAOs, but there's a reason why that's really important to you. I think one thing that's really interesting in this industry is that initially when NFT started coming out as like JPEGs, I was like, I was actually pretty taken aback because we were working on like pretty sophisticated copywriting framework. We were working on like this very vast utility mechanisms and the world started to know as NFTs as a JPEG. And I think cool in one way to popularize the front facing of that, but also really harmful because it also gave rise to a lot of scamming and exploitative mechanics where I think NFTs got a really bad name unfairly, actually, because NFTs are an underlying tech. You have fungible token and a non-fungible token. That's it. Like a fungible token means that one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin. A non-fungible token means you have a container that's unique in which the token can have unique dimensions and properties that are different from another. That's it. That's all an NFT is as a technology. Now, how is that applied, right? Now you have something on the blockchain, which is unique, which you cannot double spend and which you can authentically verify. That can be used across such a wide variety of use cases. You can use these as membership keys to community. You can use this for storing advertising contracts, which have automatic distributions and payouts towards the holders. You can use this to fractionize assets in a meaningful way. You can use this to be able to legally store and register copyright. You can use this to embed any legal contract and allow that NFT to become a legal register of that contract. You can use it for university degrees and identities. I mean, the amount of things that this technology can be used for is vast. And that's why I like to say that there's no such thing as an NFT. There is a utility which uses the technology of NFT to enable its behavior. And once we make that shift as a society, once we make that shift of understanding as a collective, it'll open us up to realize that this is a technology that has vast application. And I think that is the next bridge. And I think a lot of the people who are in the NFT industry, and you can confirm this for me, are now on that next wave. Yeah. I mean, that's what we see every day now. I mean, we get anywhere from 100, 200 plus suggestions for for shows and it's incredible it's like you know every day is a trip to you know Willy Wonka's chocolate factory where anything is possible with the types of utility that people are creating in this space it's really mind-blowing to be honest and that's what keeps me so excited working the long hours is just knowing that this is radically disruptive technology that's gonna change pretty much everything you know William Quigley also with the wax crew, I mean, he said at one point, you know, everything that we don't eat will be tied to NFTs within five years. And, you know, in the moment, I was like, man, that's a really bold prediction. But fast forward to today, I can see that happen. Absolutely. I mean, it's a representation of an asset. And once you go a little bit further into DAOs, you'll realize that NFTs are the assets of DAOs. The end. Like NFTs are the ways to represent assets. 
DAOs that own NFTs when they're properly tied to legal contracts. Now, I also want to say that this is really important. You know, we have this kind of really super rebellious edge of Web3 that wants nothing to do with any system, which is great to have that ethos because it pushes the rebellion forward and it pushes the like drive to be able to create things that are outside the purview of our current system. But at the same time, when you want to function and operate in a healthy society, you need to be able to have clear agreement frameworks. Agreements are the basis of a healthy society. And when you're able to form clear agreements and you're able to embed those agreements inside of NFTs, and you're able to have a methodology where you're able to have arbitration around that, those NFTs can now represent any asset class properly with a sense of confidence that when you buy that thing, you're going to either be able to redeem it or you're going to be able to justify your use of it. And if it's not being able to be used in the way that you want it to be used, you're going to have a methodology to be able to get reparations for that. That's the basis of society, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, we just had Nicole from Christie's on the show and, you know, she was sharing that the reason the people drop stopped was because it bid at a million dollars and there was like, this don't need a contract, you know, but when you start to sort of think about higher value items, jewelry, fine jewelry, fine art, cars, then, you know, you need to have a little bit of KYC in there, you know? And this is where our voltage protocol, you know, embedding legal agreement frameworks, embedding signing systems into the NFTs itself, creating validation methodologies is important to take us to the next level so that the NFTs can truly be representational of a very wide pool of assets. And then when you get into DeFi, DeFi makes sense now because you're not collateralizing tokens that somebody minted for more tokens with an APY with some other token that goes to, it's a Ponzi, it's a Ponzi-nomics. When you have DeFi related to NFTs that are real assets that have legal contracts that back them that you can recoup. Now DeFi is starting to get really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where I see the evolution of NFTs. And we're so young, like people have barely even figured this out. We still have like blue chip NFT lending, which is like better JPEGs, which is cool. But like where this is going to go in the next five years is decentralized banking infrastructure. Like this is the real deal. Yeah, I love that. That's a really relevant quote, Josh, about everything not edible becoming an NFT. But that also makes me want to try some edible NFTs if possible. I'd like to eat an NFT if I can. So let's, somebody's probably got to work on that. We should have some at NFT LA. You <laughs> should pushing the boundary. <laughs> NFT CBD gummies. There you go. I want an NFT where I eat it. And then once it gets fully digested, the NFT is burned, right? Uh, <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> Next level of dynamic NFT. There you go. And the other thing about the Quigley, that quote is, you won't know that everything's attached to an NFT in five years. Mm -hmm. It'll just be behind the scenes. Like great technology disappears. Like we always lead with it at the beginning so that we can be gun ho and be like, pay attention. This should get money. This should be adopted. And what ends up happening is like, they're talking about the technology when it's always about what does the technology enable us to do? And that's what Ramayan was speaking to is the amount of utility that a unique digital container allows for. Like they sold a house earlier this year as an NFT, right? Like things that you're like, whoa, that completely changes the dynamics of how fluid a asset is. 
Yes. And it makes me think about, we always have to label things, right? As humans to be able to have a conversation about them. But, you know, we're talking about web three these days, right? We also talked about web two back in the day, but in essence, it's just like you're saying was my encounter of web two, which there were probably, there were several aspects. But my encounter of web two is, oh, cool. All of a sudden I can have some animations on a web page that are integrated right into HTML. Like this is really cool, but nobody like calls that web two now. They just go, oh, hey, cool. Look, that website's cool. It's got some animations, right? And as we sort of converge on, you know, this nomenclature around Web3, I think, which helps gives us a focus and give us a direction. I know you guys talk about Web 2.5. Why do you think it's useful to have a term like that? And is there something integrated there that has to some has to do with decentralization or centralization or lack thereof? You know, I think it's like more. I want to see if Christopher has something to say on this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we speak about Web 2.5, it's about once again, where the technology is not the forefront. It's about what it's enabling. So Web3 is pretty hard. Like I grew up a geek, like I sold computers and built them by hand. Like, and like, sometimes I get into places and I'm like, wait, what do I do here? And I'm like, okay, so there's some really cool technology and that gives me a lot of the power back in this whole system that I like to be a part of yet the front end of it and the user journey. And so what we see as Web 2.5 is bringing that amazing customer journey that they built into Web 2 and bring that into Web 3. And so that's from the front end standpoint. And then also from the centralization standpoint, we really look at things from a, like, how do we use biomimicry in the way that we build systems, right? How do we look at nature and the way that nature builds systems. And you look at the human body and you're like, well, not everything is decentralized, right? Yes, the same DNA is in every cell, yet I have a brain up here that's supposedly making all the decisions. And this is just enacting that, Mm. right? And so how do we actually allow for the way that people want to be in an organization to emerge versus the feeling of, Everything needs to be decentralized. That's the end all be all. So look, guys, I mean, DAOs, it's a cool acronym. It's fun to say, but it hasn't been all roses when it comes to DAOs this past year, right? We've learned some things about DAOs that work and DAOs that don't work. And, you know, there's been some dysfunction. You know, at one point in the past, there's a book called Holacracy that came out and that didn't quite work either. You guys think there's a way to do DAOs that does work. And I'm really curious what that looks like and what we've learned from the DAOs that don't work. You know, I think when you try to go from zero to 100, you have to realize that you're dealing with humans and human behavioral dynamics. It's all good to have a technological ideal, but human behavior doesn't shift that fast. When you're used to being in a certain type of social structure, and now you're inside of a completely different structure with almost no guidelines, your state of emergence. So I really commend these DAOs that have been attempting to do what they're doing because they're almost social experiments. That's how I see it right now. They're social experiments in a type of a new emergent structure, this very leaderless, hierarchy-less, collective decision-making process, which is messy. It's dark. And however, when that process happens, it enables the emergence of deeper learning, right? And so I think right now we're in that process of reflection, witnessing what works, what doesn't work, and seeing how you can create something that's more hybridized. 
Richard Rudd, in his book, The Gene Keys, which is a really amazing book, talks about that we're moving from hierarchy to heterarchy to synarchy. And basically, your hierarchy, which is your top-down pyramidal systems. And heterarchy is a blend between hierarchy and more of a flat, collectivized system, where synarchy is more like everybody knows what each other are doing in the system. It's almost like a telepathic, organized system. I think we tried to move from hierarchy to synarchy too fast. And I don't think we were ready for it. One. Two, I feel like the way that we have run DAOs is through ERC-20 tokens. Now, there's a problem with this. You're making the same tool you use for payment the tool you use for governance. And imagine if US dollars were how we governed the system. That probably wouldn't be very good because it would lead to the same type of control and power dynamics that we have today. Flash loan attacks, the ability to be able to immediately and easily aggregate. Like there's a lot of issues with trying to use ERC-20 tokens as both your payment and your governance token. It also lends itself to people speculatively buying your tokens, not really being engaged in your system and hoping for the price increase right? Which is why you have such low engagement in DAOs amongst the holders. So what we see is that for these future DAOs to work, A, you need a lot less people holding your token. You need to be able to have a small group of really committed people who are holding and still have a lot of influence and say in power. And you need to be able to understand the distinction between those people who are working full-time and those people who are just your community participating in a project. This is why we have created a NFT DAO structure where NFTs become your voting and your governance keys to the DAO, which means that people who are in a project have to really earn in and get one of those NFTs or buy in in a specific way. Or there's many different methodologies in which people can get an NFT to participate, which means you're going to have a much lower amount of people in the DAO and a much higher threshold for participation. And because you have an NFT-based DAO, you can ban NFTs. Meaning if somebody's a bad actor in the system, you can actually have a methodology for getting that bad actor out, which you really can't do today with ERC-20 tokens. There's no way to remove bad actors from the system, which is really terrible design in a system, right? And I would say that the fourth most important thing that we're building a system that allows for two wallets, a creator wallet and a community wallet. So if I'm launching a creative project, I may not want everybody from day one to have complete agency and decision over my creation. I think that is a fallacy to say that 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 is the one way to do things. So we've created a really cool mechanism to allow for on our fundraising platform, the creators who create the launchpad to choose how much they want to give to creators, the creator wallet, and how much they want to give to the community wallet or the people who participate and buy in. And so we're creating a bit of a hybridized structure that works together. And at any point, somebody can jump from the community to creator wallet. At any point, you can be able to have people from the community that want to have deeper participation, but you don't take away the agency of the core creators to be able to have funds that they can use and distribute to create their creator project. So we're playing with these dynamics right now. And this is also a social experiment and a test that we're undergoing to try to solve some of these issues right now going forward. So I love that you brought this idea of sort of creators into the conversation here. And I'm curious how you see creators in web two versus web three. Like what's new about this role of a creator in in web three? So I think being a creator in web two, you were really at the uh, behest of the platforms. And this is what I was speaking about, about Unify earlier. You really didn't have a lot of creative control. You didn't have control of your audience. You didn't have control over your own assets. I mean, even putting your stuff on iStock Photo, you don't have control over your licensing, your structures, your agreements. It's hard to post on iStock and then on, you know, Getty Images and all that went along with trying to be able to create that. Web2 is very restrictive. 
It was highly platform restrictive, and it didn't give creators a lot of agency and power. Where I think Web3, the platform is more about the facilitation and less about the creator, the, the control. And I think creators in Web3 are demanding that. They're not going to participate with platforms that don't give them the agency and control they know they can have now. And NFTs are a huge part of that because it demarcates the ownership of their assets, which they have come to realize is truly the power for the platform. So I think Web3 is really about creators realizing their own power and taking their power back. And in DAOs, they now have a way to be able to create a coordination system outside of you know, a label where creators can self-coordinate and self-aggregate and represent collective power together as creators, which I think we're only beginning to see the realization of right now. Cool. So you know, if all this happens, you still need patrons, you still need sponsors, you still need the ability for advertisers to coexist within a community in a genuine, authentic way, right? You know, we could not have created NFTLA without supporters. We tried to sort of, and you guys are one of them, right? And our goal there was really to co-create, to give you a lot of value in return for you helping us to create, you know, NFTLA for the community. And we appreciate that. In a DAO-like setting, how do you ethically integrate advertising? You know, you do it by proposal and acceptance. I think Web2 advertising, a lot of it was algorithmic. It was programmatic advertising. And programmatic advertising doesn't give you any agency or say of what ends up on your platform. That's the problem. I don't think advertising is good or bad. I think when we say advertising bad, it's a total misnomer. It's really about how the system is driven by advertising and how little agency and control you have over it. Today already, even in Web2... Just to give clarity to this, as you say that out loud, just something, an interesting twist on what you said, the agency that you have over advertising. What I'm realizing about that is we have been given a certain type of agency over advertising, but it's given completely to our dopaminergic system, right? It's like the agency that we're allowed is almost our subconscious gets to pick the ads based on what like makes us really excited in the moment or something like that, right? And I think you're talking about a new type of agency where it's kind of like, hey, I want to feel in control, right? I don't want that part of me that makes me feel out of control to be in control, But yeah, so I think there's a nuance there, but it's a really important point. That's cool. You know, last thing I'll just say on this is that we built a framework called the Decentralized Advertising Framework, which was, again, using a smart contract proposal and acceptance system where any influencer can receive bids from people who want to be able to sponsor their channel, sponsor their logo, sponsor their page, sponsor their ad, put advertisements on their stuff. Advertising is a huge boon for creators. Let's be honest, like pretty much the entire creator economy is being fueled by advertising today. So to be able to say, oh, advertising bad is, is really naive. It's better to say we're giving more choice to influencers to choose what they want to advertise, who they want to partner with, how to structure those relationships, and how to have them more transparent on a blockchain. And I think that's what we're moving towards. Mm-hmm. I'll add one piece there because at the end of the day, like I use Instagram and you know what? Like I typed in fashion last night in my search bar because I wanted to see ads that would inspire me in terms of fashion to like make something today, right? Like what advertisement allows for is actually the when it's done well is the connection of the things that we want, just like. We went to NFTLA to find out about cool NFT projects. And so like the fact that cool NFT projects were sponsoring it gave us insight into who are people that are doing things in the space, right? Like it's about properly matching the clientele with the people that are offering the services. And what we're speaking about is giving more agency for those two saying yes into that interaction, which means they're opting in. 
And anytime we opt into things, we're actually then taking ownership of our experience of it, which completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah. In its best sense, advertising is about really about finding out, right? And I would never begrudge anybody if I've got like contaminated water for them to help me find out how to purify it, right? Or something like that, right? And so that's kind of the ideal future we're looking towards. I know we want to get to our next segment because you guys, we want to get to know you guys a little bit better with the Edgewick hitters. But, you know, as we wrap this up, I want to hear a little bit more about soulbound NFTs and governance NFTs. Could you give us something quick on what's going on there? You may take that, Christopher. Sure. I mean, what we really see as governance NFTs are what reminds folk to is like, It's an NFT that gives you voting power within a DAO. And the ability for soulbound NFTs, which Vitalik has talked a bunch about, where it's non-transferable, right? Once that wallet purchases it or is given that NFT, they can't transfer it. And so that person can be given those rights. So we're playing with what is the dynamic between that and what's the dynamic between a DID, a decentralized identification, so that you're connecting it with an actual person. And then if they want to move out of that community or out of that project, that they can still sell that governance NFT. And so, you know, this is once again, the whole social experiment of there's a million ways to do these governance systems. And we're looking at like, what are the core trim tabs? What are the small things that make the biggest difference to play with and actually understand as this system evolves that is in most support of people in terms of how they can contribute, how they can earn for their contributions, and how they can be in community effect. Because our whole system is built on when the communities and projects thrive, we thrive. And that's the end of the day. I love that concept too. And it hasn't been something I'd followed much before doing some research kind of about what you guys are up to. But, you know, one of the things that really gets me excited is this idea of self-expression, right? That people shouldn't be doing jobs that don't feel fulfilling, that there's going to be a purpose for everyone. You know, we want everybody to be finding that and be happy with the way that they contribute. So having something that's sort of soul bound, and I love that term as well, to kind of like who an individual is and how they're to express is a really beautiful concept. Yeah, I love it, guys. I think it was a Google executive that I remember listening to that talked about persistence and curiosity as some of the key pillars of everyone that they try to bring into Google. And that's how they were able to innovate and be so disruptive. And I definitely feel that vibe and in, in both of you and in, in, in the sort of team that you're building and, you know, just reflecting on your journey and how you got here. It's a lot of persistence, a lot of curiosity. And from that creates creation, which is, you know, a really great name for what you guys are doing. Congrats on the rebrand. I'd love to learn more about what's next and what our listeners can look forward to from here. Yeah, thanks, man. And same with you. I mean, we've been around this space for a while and we're still here. And I just love Edge of NFT. And I was so impressed with what's put together there that it makes me want to continue this relationship and support you guys however we can, because I felt a lot of integrity and a lot of value being generated, genuine value being generated for everybody. And you don't see that in a lot of places. Thanks so much. Yeah, we put a lot of heart into everything we do. Yeah, I could tell. And that's why we're here. And it makes it fun. What's next for creation is we just closed our last round. We're opening a new one in October. And we are in beta development right now. Our goal is to, by Q1, open up our beta 
we've been in taking beta applications. We have tons of amazing beta applicants who want to be the people who we launch through our beta launchpad. So, you know, what we're doing is we're building an NFT-based launchpad rather than ERC-20 token-based launchpad. We're a launchpad where you pre-sell NFTs, which automatically flips into a DAO. All the NFTs that you sell give you governance rights. And we have a community management platform immediately. So rather than like buying some NFT on OpenSea and hoping that somebody someday will create some sort of structure which you have value and access to a treasury, our platform does it from A to Z. And so the beta creators we're looking for are incredible creators with existing communities that want to actually make a real impact in the world because not only are we going to bring them and handhold them through our platform, we're also going to be investing into every one of the creators. So we're going to be investing between twenty dollars and $50,000 into all of our beta creators to really bring them into the world. And so we're in that phase right now of courting amazing beta creators. We already have like a Burning Man camp that's going to be working with us. We have a real estate project that's going to be selling NFTs. We have incredible communities like the Create community that are coming on board. So we're really sourcing who are these amazing beta communities with epic projects that we want to bring forth. And it's a balance between existing like Web3 heavy and we're also bringing some Web2 communities into Web3 because we want to play with both to see can we really create that bridge. That's beautiful, man. And like creators just want to create, right? And moderated many a panel with creators and, you know, the ones that went out of their way to learn about smart contracts and mechanics and everything, like, I mean, amazing stuff. And they grinded it out and it's a hero's journey. And But ultimately, most of them don't want to do that. They want <laughs> to spend all their time creating. And if you guys can help them do that, then there's just going to be more amazing creations in the world. Well, I'll say one last thing to that, because you're absolutely right. And actually, you've done a ton of market research to prove what you just said. And so what is the creation doubt? Because yes, creation space is the platform. In the creation DAO, we're starting to, we're seeding guilds. So we want to create a videography guild, photography guild, developer guild, smart contract guild, admin guild, social media marketing guild. And each one of these guilds are going to have their own autonomy. And every time a project comes through, it says, hey, I want to build this amazing thing in the world. Different guild members can vote on that project. And if they vote, those projects can be funded through our token. And you have an immediate roster of incredible vetted talent from these guilds that are going to be working with your project. So one of the biggest things for creators is finding a team. Who are your designers, graphic designers, videographers, admins? So being a creator takes a village. And I think that's something that's really important about creation to understand. And so we want to be able to align people, resources, support you with funding, and then allow you to help grow your community. And then the creation and the revenues are distributed amongst those teams fairly, according to smart agreement frameworks. So that's part of what the DAO will be doing next year. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. 
Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Really inspiring to talk to you. It's a great conversation. Sorry we can't have Jeff here. I'm sure he would also <laughs> love to be a part of this when he's out for today's session. But on that note, Jeff is usually our sort of leader of the next segment, which is Edge Quick Hitters. We want to get there because we think it'll be really fun with you guys. And again, Edge Quick Hitters is a fun and quick way to get to know you guys a little bit better. 10 questions. We're looking for just a short, single, few word response, but we can feel free to expand if we get the urge. Are you ready to roll? All right. This is the game show portion. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's just give you a heads up. I'll start with Ramayan on the first question. We'll hit you each for each question. And Josh and I will trade off questions. So first question, Ramayan, and then Christopher, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Candy. Okay. Not the only one. And just tell us what type of candy did you enjoy? Popeye sticks. Popeye sticks. Ooh, I don't even know what that is. They'll look it up. Christopher, what about you? You know, this is going to, it's like hard to say this, but pretty sure it was a Spice Girls CD. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a confession. Yeah. <laughs> the first Edge of NFT confession. I think we need a count session on this one. It reminds me that one of my early record purchases was uh, Paul Abdul, right? I mean, it's kind of like... <laughs> oh, I remember that CD. I, opposites attract. Yeah, man. Straight up, now tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have that one too. Guilty. But next question. We'll go to Christopher first. What's the first thing you ever remember selling in your life, Christopher? Like really selling was custom computers, like custom built computers. Nice. That sounds appropriate. Tech guys selling computers. Ryan, how about you? First thing you ever remember selling? Okay. So when I was nine years old, I had my first business. I was in Hong Kong. I would go to the different apartment buildings with big boxes and collect things people didn't want. And I would sell it at the front of the grocery store. And I made enough money to buy myself a ticket back to Vancouver. Beautiful. So that reminds me of Warren Buffett collecting golf balls out of the ponds and selling them back to golfers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Ramayan, what is the most recent thing you purchased? This clock. All right. Pretty cool clock. <laughs> My friend's an artist. I don't have it here, but I bought a really dope Berber jacket in Marrakesh. Nice. Yeah, you're beaming in from Morocco, which is kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the best things about traveling is just like those special mementos that, you know, you can take with you and actually enjoy. So that's really cool. So, Chris, what is the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I sold? I can give you a hint. I might know the answer. You might know the answer. Interesting. Was it a Genesis NFT? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely it was, actually. All right. A Veeam Genesis NFT. There you go. 
But yeah, that's someone that doesn't sell a lot. So Ram, have you done any kind of bartering or sales uh, since since your NFT launch? I mean, I've been selling a lot of tokens. Um, that's one thing. I've also been selling a lot of my stuff here in BC because I'm uh, heading out to LA for a bit. When any painful sales or were they all easy to lift off your chest? Yeah, selling my guitar. I've had this guitar for 11 years, but it was just not... I have like so many guitars. I had to sell it, but I really love this one. Pivotal moments, the sales of guitars for moving purposes. I traveled the world with that guitar multiple times, multiple shows. So it was a thing. Yeah, I've had friends go through that. All right, next question. We're going to Ramayan, back to you. What is your most prized possession? I have some beautiful ultra items that I would consider really prized possessions. You know, things that have come to me through really deep, profound experiences. I think I prize those more than any monetary object that I hold. Yeah, I would say some. I have a couple of amazing altar objects that I really hold to my heart. And also the harmonium that my grandfather gave me before he passed away. And when you say altar, are we talking like Buddhist chanting or something different? Or um, No, I mean, just, you know, I have a beautiful altar of items that have meaning to me and I keep it in my house where I am. So it's just reminding me of powerful moments and, and important reflections. The definition of prized possessions. I love it. First appearance, actually, of an altar. Chris, what about you? Prized possession. The most prized possession, I'm going to take it outside of like the physical, is really the close relationships of the community that is here building this vision of the future that we're talking about. Like the people that I get to be around and get to be building this with, like that's what makes this worthwhile. And so when I think about it at the end of the day, that's what excites me beyond. Do I like being on a computer 10 hours a day? Not really, <laughs> you know, like, but do I love it doing it with these guys and with you guys? And yeah. Agreed. Yeah. What are we without the people that we're working with, collaborating with? All right. Back to you, Chris, get ready. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would that be? Essentially, it would probably be a decent sized town. Like it would be rebuilding the infrastructure of a town with implementing all the different technologies along with regenerative principles to actually showcase in physical form the kinds of things that we're talking about and allowing a place for people to come visit that isn't like an eco village that isn't like, oh, that's some destination that's all the way out there. But it's like, here's a place where a lot of people live, create art, farm, like have connection with the land and still use technology, right? It's not like all the way one way or all the way the other. Yeah. I love that. I was actually reflecting on that recently being here in Peru and kind of visiting some of these like historic places with so much culture behind them, but you know, with a lot of people lacking and not with the same resources that we might have here. And I couldn't help but think, yeah, if you just had the money and you just came in and started to build some infrastructure and help people out, there's a lot of simple things to implement. So I love that answer. Back to Chris. Next, that Ramayan, if you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience currently for sale, what would it be? On one level, I would love to buy Bill Gates' entire portfolio of land so I could take it away from his hands. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, largest landowner in the US. And I would love to create a gifting system where each piece of that land was gifted into a type of community that was all run and operated on blockchain with DAOs. Because I actually have this amazing book right here. Actually, it's sitting under my iPad, but it's called Land. 
And it talks about how our entire capitalistic system was based on the commoditization of land. And I think that decommoditizing land and actually gifting it was part of the cycle to bridge us to a new type of structure. You can be as digital as you want, but we're living on land where, where you know, human beings that need physical infrastructure. So I think that may be my answer to that. All right, Bill Gates, somebody's gunning for your land. Better look out. <laughs> <laughs> when you asked him, I literally thought he was going to say the world and then gift it back so that ownership is no longer a thing. Close enough. <laughs> I didn't know that. I learned something. Bill Gates is the biggest landowner in, in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, all right, guys. Next question. This is for Ramayan first. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what one would it be? Compassion. Hmm. I feel that. What about you, Christopher? Awareness. Nice. Two really cool traits there that we're talking about. So next question, guys. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits to the next generation, what one... Would it be? Chris, let's start with you. Aloofness. Like sometimes having such awareness and then just being like, oh, it'll work itself out and not fully trusting my intuition of like, like you got the ping, like motherfucker, do it. (laughs) Sorry if I cursed. I don't know if that's No, no. It's all good here, man. It's all good. And Ramayan, what about you? I would say greed. It's something I've worked through a lot in my life, which is the desire to accumulate. And realizing how that puts me out of line and out of touch with my true values. I think I spent a lot of my life working through that from my lineages who have come from a lot of wealth to a place where I'm more and more of service, knowing that I'm going to be taken care of as I build for the good of the whole, rather than I need to have this idea that I need to extract and accumulate for self. Yeah. Well, it starts by selling one really valuable or prized guitar at a time, right? (laughs) But yeah, I hear you there. And you know, I'm really good at suggesting decluttering to other people, but it's a lot harder to do yourself, you know, and it is actually a form of greed. That's a really astute answer. I appreciate that. So guys, a couple more questions here. We're just going to start with uh, Remind. What did you do just before joining us on this podcast? What did you do? I had a call with Christopher and Austin and Sebastian finalizing details to sponsor another conference. It's a Web3 investment conference. Very cool. Yeah, we'll see you in Vegas. Shout out to the, our friends at Web3 Expo. We're going to be there doing some media, trying to bring some new folks into the space. So really excited to see how that comes to life. Christopher, what about you? We'll keep it short because I was doing the same thing. He's on the call. <laughs> <laughs> same call. Got it. And we'll see if we have a similar situation here. Uh, Christopher, what are you going to do just next after the podcast? This will be surprising if Ryan pulls this one off. I'm going to go to a hammam and get a full body scrub. All right. <laughs> are you getting scrubbed too, man? This is on uh, creation's time, huh? This is what we pay our employees to do. <laughs> go get body scrubs at a hammam. Ready, guys. I'm going to be working on our, our updated white paper. Well, look, guys, this has been really exciting to get to know you better. Seems like uh, this is the perfect time to uh, cover at least one or two hot topics. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Web3. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, let's hit some. Yeah, certainly some big players here to talk about. First one, Starbucks to offer NFT Starbucks. Yes, I said Starbucks, okay? <laughs> to offer NFT loyalty program using Polygon's blockchain technology. Company Starbucks Odyssey will allow customers to purchase and earn digital collectible stamps in the form of an NFT that offer benefits and immersive experiences. I'm kind of floored here. I mean, as with a lot of these 
evolutions where big brands jump in. They make sense, but I'm, I'm very fascinated by the fact of how easily this kind of stuff is happening. And when I, I've got my Starbucks rewards app, whether I like it or not, I've joined the tribe there and being tempted towards more and more coffees. But yeah, this is fascinating and it makes sense. Yeah. Look, guys, I mean, they hired some of these folks that are launching this project in May, right? And May was about the same time the market started to go down. So it tells you that they are thinking about this very long term. And I think, Ramayan, you have a little bit of insight here, if so a little birdie tells us. It does. Okay, so here's the part that I love most about this. Uh, the CMO of Starbucks, right? CMO of all Starbucks. His name is Brady Brewer. This is what he said. This is so salient because this is so in line with our philosophy as well. He said this, it happens to be built on blockchain and Web3 technologies, but the customer, to be honest, may very well not even know that what they're doing is interacting with blockchain technology. It's just the enabler. So, so much of what we were speaking to before of really top level brands understand that the technological architecture behind Web3 provides a much more robust user experience, provides more security, provides them to be able to deliver their brand promise way better. But unless they're able to deliver a user experience that's so seamless that users don't have to do a bunch of convoluted crap in order to participate, they're not going to win. So big brands get this. And I think it's really time that these examples spill over to the rest of the industry. And I think Starbucks is going to really pioneer that for a lot of brands. I think once people see the success they're going to have long-term, it's going to be a real industry enabler. And guys, this isn't window dressing, right? Like they're actually going to create these digital collectible stamps with different rarity levels. And they're going to co-create that with artists. The ownership is going to be on the blockchain and they're going to give proceeds from these causes, not only to causes that matter Starbucks, but also to their members of the reward program. I mean, this is real co-creation. So shout out to these guys for being extremely thoughtful about this project. And I've met some people that have been working with them and uh, recently at a, at a Moonbirds casual soiree. And, and these guys have gone deep. They've gotten people that know the industry, that understand Web3, and they're thinking about it really interestingly. And I wish them the best. I'm not normally a Starbucks drinker. I'm a coffee snob. I have to be honest. But, you know, I may go by and pick up a latte just to uh, show some support here. I agree. Uh, I think they're doing it the right way. And, you know, I think fair markets are times, as we've talked about ad nauseum in many different podcasts, they're really the time for the real builders and the real seers and the pioneers. And that you're going to always have your naysayers, but there's so many people who have gotten wind and understand on a deeper level of what the real technology is. We're going to see them emerge and we are right now. Yeah. I think it's great that we got a chance to fit this one. And I think it's really relevant. And I think it's something super worth talking about. Big ups to Polygon for making things like this happen as well. I'm sure their their sort of force was a big role in making this happen. So we had a couple other hot topics on the queue talking about Puma unveiling metaverse experiences and emergence of Europe's leading NFT hubs pointing to a continent readying up for Web3. But that's just a teaser. You can sort of look that stuff up online and, and research more. I think we're going to have to start wrapping up the episode. Let's get to the a very important section, though, which we've alluded to. I think some of the folks you guys want to shout out, right? We have a section where we like to shout out members of the community, people we're connected with. Why don't you guys take a second to do your shout outs here and give some love. Ramayan, who would you like to call out for this shout out? Uh, thanks, guys. So two people I'd love to shout out is Austin Davis. Austin has been in the scene 
you know, since he started Blockchain Beach, which I'm sure some of you guys remember if you've been OG in the space, you know, being an event creation company. He's done so much for this industry. He's helped so many people. And, you know, he's a master weaver. And, you know, we wouldn't be here without Austin and want to give him a big shout out. And thanks. He actually connected me and Josh, Joshua. So, you know, it's an example of the master connected that Austin is. And I think the second person I'd like to give a shout out to is someone I've only met once, but I have a deep amount of respect for what he's doing in the space is Kevin Iwaki. And he's the founder of Gitcoin. And they're really, you know, creating DAOs and grant programs to fund initiatives to support the commons. And he has a podcast called Green Pill Podcast on Bankless. And he just did a four-part series with Daniel Schmachtenberger on how Web3 can be addressing the meta crisis. And I think we really need more of this voice, which is really looking at how we become pivot to systems change. And if you're really interested in that type of topic, then I, I recommend checking him out. We don't advise anybody listen to any other podcast, but that's fine. <laughs> no, no, it sounds great. Actually, it's great intel for our listeners. Something they might not be aware of. Chris, you had a couple of shout or at least one shout out as well that I think we alluded to. Yeah. I mean, besides my parents, obviously, what, one of my dear brothers who I sat in men's circle with for many years, Malcolm Cassell, who passed away from a heart attack last year and who was a true pioneer in the space as Josh alluded to earlier in this episode, one of the men in my circle, he went and brought a prayer for him to Burning Man to the temple this year. And so just his essence lives on. And one other one that I just wanted to throw in there that came up as we were talking about it was Larry Keeley, who he's not in the Web3 space, um, but he was the guy that had me go get my master's in design. He was the guy that I went to one brunch with that changed my life, right? That he asked, what do you notice in this room? And I'm like, you know, I'm like looking at the people and stuff. And then all of a sudden he just breaks down all the design choices that were made for the way that that space felt and how a small group of people can have huge impacts through the way that things are designed. Beautiful. Love that. A shout out to a person as well as a concept. Definitely love that. All right. Well, it's about time to do a little bit of our outro here. Before we do that, make sure it's very clear where our listeners can go to learn more about you guys and the projects you're working on. Ramayan, why don't you take it first? And then we'll see if Chris has any other places people go to follow. Well, hopefully our website's by the time <laughs> you share this podcast, we were beam.com and we will be creation.space. And that's going to be our new domain that you can go. If you're interested, want to reach out, you can reach out to me at ram at creation.space. If you want to be a beta creator, if you're interested, just go to creation.space and there'll be a beta creator form. And we'd love to be able to connect with you. Love it. Great rebrand. Any other places to follow or is that sufficient? That's sufficient. I mean, you can follow us at Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, we'll have all the links. And guys, we've got a really sweet giveaway here. I say that because they get to be part of a community that, that Edge is also part of. You guys are generously offered one Genesis NFT to our community. And guys, this is a really valuable NFT. Anything else to, to share about this uh, giveaway, Rob? Yeah, sure. So there's only 1,080 of these Genesis NFTs. There are 10 different characters. We've had incredible actors like Uncle Iro from Avatar, The Last Airbender voice over these characters. And they're all part of a collective mythology and a story about the birthing of the Veeamverse. And each one of these NFTs gives you access to our community, gives you access to the DAO that's going to be there in, in going forward. And I can't tell you exact details of this, but there's going to be a pretty significant airdrop that's going to be given to the holders of these NFTs. So you usually have to apply to even get one of these NFTs. 
And so we're really honored to give one of them away in the show. And the one we're giving away is of the Veeam Goddess herself. So it's the title of our brand. And the other giveaway, are, uh, we're giving away some merch. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. I'm sure our community will as well. All right. Well, uh, it's been an excellent time spent with you fellas. Really appreciate you joining us. We have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks to everyone for exploring with us. We do have space for more adventures on the Starship. So listener, make sure you invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How can you do that? Go to Spotify, go to iTunes right now, rate us, say something awesome to spread the word. Go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces. Start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Hey, thanks for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.